0: La 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 Hello beautiful people and welcome to MIDI the podcast, a modern-day podcast designed to answer all of your weird and wonderful pregnancy and postpartum questions. I'm your host, Monique Maitland, qualified midwife and nurse, founder of the MIDI Society, and someone who is about to become your personal in-pocket midwife and virtual best friend. The Midi Society is a community-based platform where we interview leading healthcare professionals, new mummers, and everyday people who share with us their experiences and reveal what they wish they knew before becoming a parent. So buckle up for this crazy and exciting ride. I'll be talking all things tits, bits, spew, and poo. All right, let's get started. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by Training With Mates your local supportive fitness community that strengthens health, performance and lifestyle goals through expert coaching, fun and mateship. Exercising whilst pregnant can be a little bit daunting, with most of us not knowing what we actually can and can't do. But with training with mates, active mum classes, personalised programs and extensive knowledge about safe exercise in pregnancy, They can help you best navigate staying fit and healthy during pregnancy and in the postpartum period. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Midi. Today is our educational episode and I'm super excited for this one. I think you guys are going to love it. But before I give it away on what it's about, oh well actually... The caption already gave it away. I just wanted to say it is officially been two months since I've launched MIDI the podcast and. I cannot thank you guys enough for all your support so far. I know I say it all the time, but really, this podcast would not be possible without you guys tuning in every week and sharing it amongst your friends and family. I am forever grateful for all your support. And I did want to say thank you to those who have reached out to me on Instagram. Your messages of support, they mean the absolute world to me. I really get like the biggest butterflies in my tummy when I read them. It's just so, I'm so glad that I can help women and even help their support persons or um, anyone involved in their labor or pregnancy or birth experience from afar because ultimately that's, that's what I want to be, your virtual in-pocket midwife. So I'm so, so glad that that message um, and mission that I'm trying to achieve is coming across. So thank you all for reaching out and yeah, please my inboxes, inboxes? DMs are always open whenever you need. All right, well, let's get straight into this week's episode. I cannot believe it, but this is episode 10. Where has those weeks gone? That's been 10 weeks, oh my goodness, I can't believe it and to think that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing at the start and now finally things are making somewhat of some sense, Um, let's get straight into it. I will try and keep this short and sharp because last week's one about everything to do with the postpartum period was just quite a lot it was quite a big episode and I hope you guys got something out of it but I promise this one will be much more short and sweet so in today's episode we are going to be talking about something that all women you know this is the main question they ask when they come into the birth suite or when they are preparing to have a baby is what pain relief options are available to them when they're having their baby so this episode is going to encapsulate all the different types of non pharmacological and pharmacological um, types of pain relief that you can use when you're in labor. I think to start off, it's worthwhile you guys knowing that as a midwife, I'm speaking on behalf of midwives, this is usually what we do when it comes to pain relief in labor. So if I'm looking after a woman that comes in, I usually ask them at the beginning of my shift, what are are your birth plans and birth preferences and do you know what pain relief options are available to you throughout the labor? And then we have a lengthy discussion um, about all the options. I sort of find out what she's really wanting to do throughout the labor and birth and I try to facilitate that as best as I can. But the thing with pain relief is As midwives, we don't tend to offer pain relief unless it's brought up by the woman. So we encourage a lot of the non-pharmacological pain relief options, um, which I will discuss soon. But in terms of the pharmacological pain relief options, we don't usually bring that up until the woman will ask us, What type of pain relief can I have next? But I think it's really important to just be honest with your midwife from the beginning because remember, you are at the center of your care. So everything that you want to do, your midwife should um, facilitate that. So just keep that in the back of your mind. You're always in control and you always have a say and the midwife will be there to support you as best as she can. Okay, so what do I mean by non-pharmacological pain relief? So, this refers to pain relief which isn't involving any type of medication to reduce your perception of pain. Now, majority of these non-pharmacological pain relief options which I'm going to discuss can be used throughout the whole labor and birth period. So, When I say this, I'm meaning when you're at home in those early stages of labour, these are some really good vital techniques that you can use to help yourself stay at home for as long as possible. Up until when you come into the hospital, even when you start to push your baby out, all of these techniques can still be used up to that point. Okay, so let's start with movement. Movement in labour is super important and it's important for multiple reasons. One, it's actually going to help your baby really engage down into that pelvic outlet. So it's going to, by using gravity, remember gravity is your best friend in the labor period. So using gravity to help your baby move down that pelvic outlet is going to help dilate and efface that cervix more quickly because it's going to allow that baby to put more pressure on that cervix to help it dilate. But also lots of women find it really good to move around just to help alleviate any sorts of pressure or discomfort associated with one area. It's actually been shown that if you are more upright and move around in labor, you're actually going to decrease your first stage of labor by up to an hour. So when I say first stage of labor, this is referring to that period before we classify you as fully dilated. And I know if you're listening to this at home, one less hour in labor is looking pretty good to you. So moving around in that birth center, even when you're at home is super important. And if you don't have a birth ball, grab yourself a birth ball, bounce around on that at home. But just know that when you do come into the hospital, we have lots of resources available. So, you will have your birth ball available. There will be, there's also birth mats. So, these are mats that are on the floor, which will allow you to be a bit more comfy on the floor if you prefer to get on your knees and move around in that way. But also, when you're standing up, try and do some swaying or some figure eights. Lots of women find that really comfortable. But also, you know, there's so many different positions that you can get into. So you can be squatting, you can be kneeling. Um, yeah, I already said swaying, those figure eights. Um, but yeah, just know that changing positions is really, really good to help get your baby down and engaged to that cervix. But I think it's important to listen to your body. Your body's going to know exactly what positions are comfortable and what positions aren't. So really just tune into those feelings and just go with the flow. Next is probably the most important non-pharmacological pain relief option. And that is your breath. Breath. So breathing in labor, honestly, I see this firsthand, it can get you so, so far. And that's one thing that I always say to women. If you can stay in tune with your breath throughout the whole labor and birth, you are destined for success because it's once you lose sight of that and the control of your breath, you ultimately, I pretty much say you fall off the cliff because it's very hard to catch that again and get your mindset back on track but when you stay in tune with your breath and really just focus on breathing through the contractions and i know it's very much easier said than done but i promise you you can go so so far your breath is the one thing that no one can take away from you it's one thing that you can you can continue to control throughout that whole experience as well and it's actually been shown that controlling your breathing during labor will enhance relaxation and decrease your overall perception of pain now there is no right way to breathe either you do whatever feels most comfortable for you whether that's through your nose or your mouth I think it's really good to practice breathing in your everyday life um, before you go into labor because we know that it's really good to help just relieve stress and increase your body awareness and mindfulness when you do hone into that breath. And I know that this is something that hypnobirthing courses and calm birth courses really promote is breathing in labor and breath work in labor. Just remember when you say that you can't do it, you can do it. Regroup yourself, find that breath again, focus on that one contraction at a time and then just take it as it comes. But you can do it. As soon as you start telling yourself you can't and lose sight of that breath, you will fall off that cliff. So no falling off the cliff, please. Next, we have the use of water for pain relief. So that refers to either using the bath or the shower. So the use of water is actually used as a form of relaxation and analgesia, and it has been associated with less use of regional analgesia and increased maternal satisfaction. So that's pretty cool. So when you are in those early stages of labor, especially at home, and if if you have a bath or shower available, I would highly recommend using that. Um, but in terms of getting into the bath at the hospital, we just need to make sure that you are low risk and you are diagnosed in labour and have no other, lo- um, no other identified risk factors. I think it's also good to note that if we do pick up on any deviation from the normal, then you may be asked to either get out of the bath or the shower so that we can do a thorough check and make sure that everything's okay. For the shower and the bath, every hospital is different but some hospitals will allow you to still be monitored in the bath um, with that CTG but yes, for the shower, if you are planning on getting into the shower, I would highly, highly, highly recommend your partner just bringing a spare change of pants or thongs or um, something like that because honestly when I look after women in the shower I am drenched like I will leave with even though I'll have little booties on my shoes I will leave with my feet dripping wet like it's just it gets very wet and slippery in there so for your partner because you women get in and out of the shower all the time because it can get quite hot so yeah make sure that your partner brings a spare change of clothes Because you do want them to be in there with you, supporting you as much as they can. Next would be the use of warm packs in the labor. So especially in those really early stages of labor, women really like to put those heat packs either on their abdomen or on their back. I guess it's similar to the shower with the heat. It just soothes and provide some sort of analgesia to that area some women obviously it won't do it may not do anything but it's always worth the try in the early stages of labor at home Really funny story actually when I was looking after a lady her at the start of the shift she was like I want to do everything as naturally as I can it was her second baby or maybe her third baby and she was absolutely rocking it like she was so in the zone she was doing so incredibly well in anyway, I could tell that things were really about to kick off like she was in transitional stage she was acting differently and for people listening usually when you've had your second or third baby things can go from zero to a hundred really quickly and she was like to me Mon I need something I can't do this anymore I need something else you've got to give me something else and I was like all right well how about a heat pack and she just looked at me and was like are you kidding that's all you're gonna offer me a heat pack and then she ended up having the baby about five minutes later like I knew there was no hope to get her anything else because yeah I could see that that baby was about to come her waters had just broken everywhere and as soon as that sort of happens in a multi you know the baby is coming not long after and at the end I was like I'm so sorry that all I offered you She was a heat pack, and she's like, I just looked at you and was like, you are kidding me. But she was so glad that I did that in the end because yeah, she got through it without any any sort of pain relief, which was her goal. Anyway, a little bit off topic there, but next I want to get into water injections, and this is more of an uncommon type of non pharmacological pain relief. I feel like a lot of women don't tend to know about this as it's not used as commonly as all the other types of non-pharmacological pain relief. So, what is sterile water injections? So, it is really what it sounds like. It's an injection of water um, and this is called an intradermal injection. So, the needle is only inserted really shallowy under the skin surface and pretty much we inject water into that area and it causes a small bleb in the skin and <laughs> funny word, bleb. It sort of looks like a mosquito bite. So, when would we use sterile water injections? So, they would be used when the woman is experiencing severe back pain and this is usually due to the lie of the baby. So, if your baby is posterior. For those who are like, what? Posterior? This refers to the baby's back being up against your back. So, optimally, we would want the baby's, baby's back to be anterior. So, at the front of your tummy whereas this is the complete opposite and their back is sort of lying on your back so women do usually experience you might have heard women say like a back labor they felt it all all the contractions and everything in their back rather than a a belly a belly labor you're probably thinking Monique, what are you talking about? What's a posterior baby? And how, do you, how will you know if my baby is posterior? And don't you stress, this is the midwife's job and the obstetrics team's job to pick up on. Uh, so basically, we do it via an abdominal palpation. And then we can also confirm it via a vaginal examination. Sometimes we may not pick up on it, but there are other signs that might suggest you have a posterior baby on. On board, like the progression of labour might not be progressing as we would expect, but that's a different topic for another day. And if you have had a posterior labour, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. But it is really challenging looking after a woman whose baby is posterior because of that back pain. As that pain, it often overpowers the contraction pain. But then we bring in the sterile water injections and they work wonders. So these sterile water injections, they don't get rid of all pain, um, merely just back pain. And so we usually wait until the woman is scored her pain about a six out of ten to proceed with the injections as if given too early they won't actually be effective now a disclaimer for those who may think about water injections in labor i highly recommend them and i have seen them work absolute wonders but one thing to note (laughs) is that they do sting quite a lot. And anyone who has had water injections in the past will know exactly what I'm talking about. These things sting. So there will be an intense burning and stinging for approximately roughly 20 to 30 seconds. But The relief of back pain should occur within one to three minutes of the administration. So that's really reassuring. Now, when I was learning how to give sterile water injections, we actually practiced on each other. And funny story, my best friend, Izzy, she is also a midwife and I've been very fortunate to, you know, go through uni and we've worked together since we've come out of uni. But anyway, we were practicing on each other and she was she was injecting it into my skin and I was like I'll be fine and anyway she put the needle in and squirted in like hardly any of it. I was like oh no stop 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 she's like Monique I haven't even put any in but I think I just built it up in my mind to be much worse than it was and it was actually fine um but yeah that's a funny story so where do we actually insert these sterile water injections? And basically what we do, so we get you sitting on the bed or standing anywhere that we sort of have access to your back and we insert four blebs. So it requires four needles into the lower back and sacrum area, but it's really, really shallow into the skin. So don't be too afraid of the needles. Um, but it looks like if you rolled a four on a dice, so you've got your two dots above and your two dots below, that's what it would look like on your lower back and we actually simultaneously administer those injections with two midwives so we do the first one and then we do the second one Um, and that's because we don't we want to get it over and done with as quickly as we can so you're probably thinking how is this going to help me at all if you're just making me have more pain And the reason why sterile water injections work is by the control gate theory. So that's a really fancy word. You don't need to worry anything about that. But basically, it means that the painful stimulus caused by the injecting the water into the lower back, it causes our brain to release endorphins, which help to change a person's perception of pain. So basically, we're tricking the brain into thinking that those sterile water injections are more painful than the back pain that you're experiencing so you'll view that back pain as less painful all right and next we have the tens machine so the transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation and the tens machine it basically works in the same way that sterile water injections work by that control gate theory So it is thought to work by interrupting that pain transmission um, along that sensory pathway. So exactly the same thing as the water injections. It's going to trick your brain into, I guess, focusing on, on those electrical impulses being sent by the TENS machine rather than the contraction pain. And it is not going to get rid of the pain completely, but it's going to help release those endorphins to make you perceive the pain as less painful. Every TENS machine is a bit different in terms of the way they look. Some have, you know, two long pads that you can strip from like the middle of your back all the way down into the sacrum area. Some have four different smaller pads. Everyone is different, but they all work exactly the same. And basically the tip for the TENS is make sure you put them on in the early stages of labor. The earlier you put it on, the better. And the reason behind me saying that is because if you think about it, you put the TENS on early, but put it on a really low dosage and – as the contractions start to increase in their intensity and strength, then you gradually turn your TENS machine up. If you pop the TENS on the TENS machine on when you're already in that peak intensity of the contractions, it's really not going to do anything because it's not going to be able to meet um, the intensity of that contraction. So take home note, pop the tens on early and start it off low and then gradually build it up throughout the labour as it progresses. And I think with tens, it is worth noting the limitations of them. They are absolutely incredible. But if you are planning on getting into the bath or into the shower, you obviously can't have the electrical tens on you at that point and if we were monitoring you and we weren't able to pick up your baby's heart rate through that abdominal trace we would have to put a scalp clip on and the tens machine can interfere with that fetal scalp clip so then we would have to ask you to take it off but just know that you can always pop your tens machine back on and it does have sticky pads so you just simply pull them on and off you guys are probably wondering so how do I actually get a TENS machine and I would recommend hiring one. The hospitals don't, they may have their own ones to hire but sometimes they don't so just make sure you ask your care provider before you go into labour um, but otherwise just hire one yourself. So some useful hiring websites and Instagram is Mama and I Tens or blissbirth and yeah just check in with your hospital. Then we have other forms of non-pharmacological pain relief and that's self-hypnosis so I guess a state of meditation you know you've got also relaxation via music you've got massage so getting your partner to perform some form of massage even your midwives can help you Or you do have your acupressure pressure points, um, which can be used throughout the labor for different things. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely do some research about that. Um, But yeah, calm birthing and hypnobirthing, they really encapsulate a lot of these non-pharmacological pain relief strategies into their program. So if you're liking the sound of all these things, make sure um, you either look up some hypnobirthing or calm birth classes available all right well that sums up the non-pharmacological pain relief options now let's get straight into the pharmacological pain relief options and these refer to i guess pain relief which is given via administration of a medication or a drug Like anything and any type of medication, um, they have their own benefits and they also have their limitations and potential side effects. So you should always make an informed decision about using pharmacological pain relief in labour. So make sure you have a really good chat with your midwife or the doctors prior to even coming into hospital to have your baby. Have that conversation at your antenatal appointments, but always know you can ask as much as you like in that labour ward. Now, I'm just going to reiterate what I said at the start of this episode. Midwives, you know, it really is our philosophy to try and get women through the labor as naturally as they can. Um, so we do not usually recommend pharmacological types of pain relief until the woman brings it up or if we know that that's what they are wanting to do within their birth plan. So we have three types of pharmacological pain relief options and they usually work in a sequence of events. So we have our nitrous oxide, our morphine and then the epidural. So I'm going to start with the nitrous oxide. So the nitrous oxide is a cross between nitrous um, or you might have heard it as happy gas and a blend of oxygen. It's self-administered so basically we connect a tubing with a mouthpiece um, onto the nitrous oxide and it usually starts at about 30% nitrous, 70% oxygen and we gradually can turn it up as you wish but it's up to the woman to breathe in and out as much as she wants to administer that nitrous. When I'm instructing someone about how to use nitrous, this is usually what I would say. So the peak of the analgesia is obtained within 20 to 30 seconds of commencing um, the nitrous. So as soon as you start to feel that that contraction or surge, whatever you're calling it, is coming on, you're taking big, deep breaths in and out through the mouthpiece so this doesn't mean in through the mouth out through the nose you continue to breathe through your mouth so in and out through the mouthpiece you keep breathing like that throughout the whole contraction and then once the contractions over you take the mouthpiece out and just breathe in big deep breaths of air and oxygen around you A thing to note is some people absolutely love the nitrous oxide and some people hate it. And when I say hate it, it can make you feel quite, I guess, drunkish. That's how women usually describe it. It can make you feel... Some women get really, really happy and giggly and say such funny things. It makes me laugh so much. Um, But others just don't really like that feeling of feeling a bit drunk and woozy. Um, And it can give you like that lightheadedness but also can make you feel quite nauseous. So if you do feel nauseous whilst using the gas, let your midwife know straight away and we can give you something to help with that. But overall, I highly recommend the gas. I think it's incredible. I think it's just a really vital breathing tool for women to use, even if they don't like using the gas, I would turn it down just to air and it really encourages them just to continue to breathe in and out slowly throughout that contraction. Next, we have the morphine injection and personally, I don't see this being given that often I guess women either use the gas and then jump straight to the epidural but the morphine it's so it's an intramuscular injection so just like any sort of injection you would get into either like your thigh bottom or um, arm and basically the morphine binds to those opioid receptors and that alters your perception of pain and emotional response to pain It usually will take about 20 minutes to have some sort of effect with its peak analgesia um, at about 70 minutes. And, you know, some women do get analgesia from this for up to two to three hours, but every person is different and it can extend longer to that. It can make you feel really excited and really happy, but it also can make you feel also very drowsy and have that mental clouding. And I think a good thing to note is that morphine is transferred across the placenta, so it is safe for your baby, but it can also be transferred to your baby. And I guess if it's administered too close to your baby being born, it can have some sort of side effects with them coming out um, with that opioid still in their system because obviously they can't excrete it as quickly as adults can. And yeah, it's also worth to note that usually when we give you the morphine, it gets administered with an anti-nausea medication because it can make you feel quite nauseous. All right. And last but not least, the epidural, which (laughs) we all know that lots of women absolutely love. And that's a question I get all the time is, how soon can I have the epidural? when can I have the epidural? This type of pain relief deserves an educational episode of its own because there is a lot that goes into getting an epidural, um, what happens when you have an epidural, monitoring during having an epidural, the side effects of an epidural. There's just not enough time in this episode so please know that um, in two weeks time that will be the educational episode. But basically we know that it's become a very increasingly popular method of pain relief for women in labour. And why is that? Because it gets rid of the pain completely. That's if it's working well. So basically, an epidural works by analgesia being injected into the epidural space. This blocks the pain from labor contractions and also pain associated with the birth very effectively. But that's when the epidural is working well, which, you know, nine times out of 10 they are, but they can sometimes not work as effectively. I think what some women don't realize is that epidurals, yes, they get rid of pain, but they don't get rid of those feelings of pressure, which some women find really uncomfortable as well. So yeah, they, they'll they take away that pain, but they won't get rid of the pressure, which is caused by your baby moving really far down that pelvic outlet. There are obviously side effects associated with epidurals, um, which we will touch on next week. Or in two weeks, sorry. Um, but yeah, it will require you to be monitored and placed in the bed. You can't get up and be as mobile. You will require a catheter because you can't get up and go to the toilet. But you know, I'm 100% for epidurals if the woman uh, really wants to do that. Remember, you are at the center of your care, and your midwives will always do everything they can to help you achieve that positive birthing experience. And I think when it comes to asking for an epidural, do not feel guilty. We do not judge. We honestly just want the best for you and the best outcome for your baby. So please don't worry about the stigma associated with having to have a baby pain-free. I mean, not pain-free, pain relief-free. Um, sorry, there may be some sort of pain throughout the labor. Um, but yeah, please do not get caught up in the stigma of having to have a really natural drug-free labor because for some women, you know that's just not an option for them and that's okay and we'll support you no matter what and at the end of the day a birth is a birth as long as you're safe your baby's safe and it doesn't matter if you've used drugs in labor or if you haven't um, every birth is exactly the same so that is the end of this educational episode. I hope you got something out of it. Once again, I know that it went for probably a little bit longer than I said it would, but there is always so much to put into these episodes and I try to keep them brief but thorough as much as I can. Um, yeah, so I really hope that you got something from that. Um, and remember, speak to your own healthcare providers. These educational podcasts, they are all about education and they're not me giving you medical advice. So please, I can't reiterate enough. If you have any further questions, speak to your own healthcare provider. I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week and I can't wait to speak to you again in two weeks time. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support and yeah, stay safe, stay healthy and do something for yourself today. That's the one thing that I'm going to tell you to do. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of MIDI. Your support means the absolute world to me. So if you loved this episode and want to stay up to date with the latest interviews and midwifery education, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five star review. For further information about this episode, please check the show notes below. If you wish to share your pregnancy and motherhood experience, you can get in touch with me by emailing hello at the and find us on Instagram at at themidisociety or at Monique underscore Maitland. I cannot wait for you to join me next week. I'll be talking all things flapchat. In the meantime, I hope you have an amazing week. And remember, you're doing the best you can.